Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. Reading one verse in your hearing. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying this is my body this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me focusing your attention on that last phrase of verse 19 this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me I'd like to speak this morning on that word and look at it from perhaps a little different angle this morning remember remember you may be seated thank you for standing last week we uh, talked about the feast of unleavened bread and how the Lord set this memorial time up so that the children of Israel would remember the deliverance from Egypt, which is commemorated with the Passover and then the crossing of the Red Sea. This all happened during a seven-day period of time, and it was represented uh, through repentance and baptism. And it does not stop there. Repentance, of course, is when the blood was applied to the doorpost of those Jewish homes in Egypt, the death angel passed over. We know that the wages of sin is death, and so it is the blood of Jesus that allows us to have forgiveness of sin and literally our own personal Passover. But then when they went through the Red Sea, it was baptism, that now our sins are not just forgiven, but they are remitted or removed so that the record is expunged. And so when we are baptized in that beautiful name that we were just singing about we go down in the water in the name of Jesus our sins are removed they are gone and so when Moses took the children of Israel down to that Red Sea he said I want you to look at the faces of these dead Egyptian soldiers as they washed up on the shore and he said you'll never see their faces anymore from this day forward aren't you glad for a God that gives you closure that you can live a life above sin, never having to look back and deal with your past. And so the Lord said, commemorate this period of time with seven days of unleavened bread. It was also during this time that the walls of Jericho came down some 40 years later. And I don't think that's by accident. Many years later, the most significant event in history was overlaid on this sacred time. It was not by accident that the Last Supper, the crucifixion, and the resurrection also was fulfilled during this time. And so today, oftentimes referred to as Palm Sunday, seven days before Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. They call it Palm Sunday because it is associated with the time that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Most of the ministry of Jesus was up in the Galilee area, the northern part of what we know of today as the Palestine area. But there was a time whenever it was time and Jesus came down to Jerusalem. He made his entry into 
the streets and into the city not with trying to create some sort of fanfare but just because there were so many people that were thankful for all the sick who had been healed for all that they had experienced in their association with the ministry of Jesus Christ they filled the streets and they waved palm branches and they shouted Hosanna Hosanna this was in Jerusalem this was not up in the more remote regions of Galilee and what we know of today as Tiberias this was now down in Jerusalem in the face of the Jewish leaders they couldn't stand it they couldn't even bear the thought that this Jesus was now in Jerusalem on their own home turf they immediately set in motion a plan to eliminate Jesus it was just a few days on the eve of his crucifixion when Jesus assembled together with his disciples in what is commonly referred to as the Last Supper most historians and theologians believe it was in the upper room where the disciples gathered just a few hours before the arrest of Jesus they believe that it's the same room where these same followers would gather a number of days later for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that significance is not by coincidence it was at this last supper that several things happened first Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and this was done to teach submission and sacrifice humility and unity but it was also at this supper that Jesus tells the disciples to eat of this bread unleavened as it were as the feast was beginning the seven-day feast that they had observed all of these thousands of years going back to the nation of Israel being delivered out of Egypt this feast of unleavened bread as they begin to partake of it in this supper that he had with his disciples was the beginning he also told them to drink of the fruit of the vine to commemorate not only was the unleavened bread to commemorate his broken body but the fruit of the vine was to commemorate the blood of Jesus Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was inevitable the purpose of his ministry the very reason that he was present on this earth he tells them to continue this practice of communion for the purpose of remembering him it is interesting to break down this word remember we understand that just the word member alone we were to look it up in the dictionary which I did means a person plant or thing that is a part of a body or group that's what the word member means in our modern-day vernacular but the first Hebrew word is derived from a root meaning to knead or to mold in clay to create therefore denotes any feature or part of the body so James says the tongue also is a little member and boasteth great thing this referring to our tongue that is a part of our natural body it is a member of these natural 
bodies that you and I inhabit. The member is equivalent with the body. Psalms 139 and verse 16 says in a very stark comparison in the King James Version. The members are not self-governing, but they execute the orders of the mind, obeying either the lower nature in the commission of sin or iniquity, unrighteousness or uncleanness, as we read about in Romans 6.13, or the members can follow the higher nature, the divine impulses in the fulfilling of the law of Christ, which Paul laid out in such a beautiful way in Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. By nature, the law in my members, referring to the characteristics of human nature, Paul says in Romans 7, 23, is opposed to the better nature until by regeneration. What is this regeneration? There is a process that takes place when the condition is changed by the influence of the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God comes upon these members, as it were, then the Spirit of Christ working within us, through us, and on us, becomes the governing power, using our members, i.e. all of our abilities, in the execution of His plan, and His will, and His way. This is not done, ladies and gentlemen, while we remain passive, but only when we have actively presented or yielded our members to His service. Which Paul states in Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. So it is a powerful description, a biblical context of what the word member means. That we, in all that we are in our natural man, are able to follow something higher than just the basis part of our nature. We're able to use our hands not to hurt, but to lift them up and to praise God. For He is great and greatly to be praised. We're able to use our mouth not to damn His name, not to criticize and to hurt, but rather to say, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that in me is. I'm thankful that I can use my hand and my heart and my mouth and I can shout Hosanna. I can declare His glory and His greatness in this atmosphere today. What a wonderful God we serve. So the biblical teachings on the word member remind us that just as the members of a human body are important, the members of a spiritual body are equal if not more important. The prefix re is simply again. As we've stated since the beginning of this year, January renew, February rejoy, March revive, April remember. Re just simply means again. So when we look at the word remember, in the context of the command of Jesus at the Last Supper, we realize that the meaning is more than just don't forget. Through the taking of communion, we become a part of the body of Christ again. We become the clay on the potter's wheel again. We become a part of God's will on this earth again. We remember His body. 
We reconnect to his body. We re-establish ourselves in the body of Christ. We subrogate our nature to the will of God again. We remember him. We remember his life and his death. Communion is an opportunity to be remembered into the body of Christ. If your relationship with God and the body of Christ has been distant, it is a chance to be reconnected. If you've not been as faithful as you know God is calling you to be, it's a chance to be recommitted. When we remember Him, He remembers us. Oh, hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. That the God of glory would allow you and I in our fallen, frail, human nature to be a part of, of the greatest thing on this earth. What a wonderful God he is. Oh, you ought to clap your hands and thank the Lord that we can remember. Several years ago, I got a notice from American Express that said I was not a member anymore. I was disappointed because for years, American Express has been telling us that membership has its privileges. So I called up the good folks at American Express and said, what happened? I thought I was a member. I thought we were a family. I thought there were privileges. They said, yes, you were. You were a part of the family. But then you quit using your card. We did not hear from you. We didn't know what had happened to you. So you got kicked out of the family. They didn't actually say those words. I said, but I don't owe anything. They said, yes, but to be a member, you must use your card every so often. I said, how often? They said, at least once a year. And it dawned on me. That's why people think they're in the church when they only come to church once a year. It's the fault of American Express. I wanted to be a member again. I was sorry that I had not used my card in a year. So I said, how do I remember? And they gave me the process and I re-enrolled. I became a member again. I promised that I would stay closer. I promised that I would think about them more often. Now we are good friends again. They love me. They send me a letter once a month. They give me free gifts if I stay really close to them and think about them every day. I've introduced them to my friends. 
I hesitate today to say that communion is a spiritual credit card, although I do believe that I could make a case that the interest that you pay for sin is much greater than a credit card. The Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, and regardless of how far behind you may fall with your credit card bill, death is never a part of the equation. It may feel like death, but I don't believe that they can actually offer death as a suggestion. They may offer the death of your card, but those are usually not the credit card people. They want to send you more, not cut up the ones that you already have. But sin is like that in that it's just a cumulative effect. It gets just more and more in the quagmire and it causes us to become distant from God. Drags us down. So the rhetorical question that I have for each of us today is simply this. What do you do every day that communicates to your Savior that you love Him? What do you do every day that communicates to Jesus that you love him. I say to you today, he would like to hear from you. He'd like for you to call upon him. He'd like for you to call his name once in a while, not out of anger or frustration, but out of love and appreciation. What a beautiful name it is. He'd like to hear from you. He'd like to know that you're thinking about him. He'd like to know that before you make major decisions in your life, you want to know, Lord, what's your will for my life? Before you decide where you're going to go to college, before you decide what job you're going to take, before you decide who you're going to marry, before you decide what you're going to do every day, he'd like to know that he wants to be a part of that process. Samson was given a lot of gifts as just a baby. The Lord loved him and blessed him because of the faithfulness of his parents. I want to say to you today that if you have godly parents, you're a blessed individual. We stand on the shoulders of giants, and I know that I am blessed in this life because of the faithfulness of my parents. If you have a mom or a dad that called out to God on your behalf, you're a blessed individual. Samson was blessed because of the faithfulness of his parents, and God gave him strength. He made him a leader. He gave him boldness and tenacity. And he must have had some wisdom because he judged the children of Israel for 20 years. Now, we know all of his mistakes. We talk about that a lot in church. But Samson must have also had a lot of good advice to keep a job for 20 years. But he got away from his relationship with God. He left his relationships with the people of God. For some reason, he pursued other relationships, the wrong relationships. Somehow he valued relationships that were not a part of the body of Christ as being more valuable than the relationships that were a part of the body of Christ. Be careful that you don't enjoy being with people that are not a part of the body of Christ more than you enjoy the fellowship of God's people. If you do, there is a problem, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus wants us to remember today. Samson betrayed the Lord. He broke his vow. He cheated on God. He broke the heart of his own people. 
At night, when the parents would put their children to bed and pray with them, the children would say, Mom, Dad, where's Samson? He doesn't come around anymore. They'd have to explain to the child that Samson doesn't live here anymore. He went to live in a different place. He's not the same guy that he was. Is he still our judge, Dad? Is he still our leader, Mom? Well, maybe not right now, son, but maybe later on he will be. Just remember, though, that Jehovah is your judge and He'll always be our leader. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. The parents would have to refocus their children on the faithfulness of God. I'm sure Samson thought about this day in and day out as he turned the grist wheel to grind the corn. He'd been captured now. He, he went too far. He thought he was Superman, that he didn't need God, the things of God, the people of God, the house of God. He could do it on his own. Ladies and gen gentlemen, sin is much stronger than you are. It's won many battles before you were born. And without God, you will be its next victim. Samson had now been captured by the Philistines. They had taken him, not just captured him, but humiliated him. They now had him doing the work that was normally reserved for a team of oxen. His eyes had been burned out of their sockets by fiery hot sticks. They put him back there in that little house where they would grind the meal on the backside of the palace grounds. And he was back there and he would work day in and day out because though he had distanced himself from God, the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, so his strength returned and remained. He could hear people gather in the distance of that temple to worship their false god, Dagon. Sometimes they would stop by and watch him for a few minutes to think about how that their God was greater than the God of Israel. They would bring their kids over there and say, this was Samson, the great judge of Israel, that sometimes single-handedly would, would defeat an entire garrison of our soldiers. But look at him now. That shows you that the God of Israel is not as strong as our God, Dagon. Dagon was a God that was a false idol made out of half fish and half man. It's amazing what people will put their trust in. And ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you this today? That sometimes for a short period of time, it may appear that serving God is not a reward. That serving God does not put you in the best possible situation. But I'm here to tell you something right now. If you just stay faithful to God, He will reveal to you that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The world may look good for a short period of time, but there will come a time, my friend, when you will realize there's nothing better than God's presence. There's nothing better than God's house. There's nothing better than the arms of God wrapped around me. During one festival, they decided to bring Samson out and parade him around the temple of their God. Big mistake. You know, this way, people will not have to leave the temple and go down there. It's a little bit of a ways going back there on the back part of the property. So we'll just bring him up here and we can all watch him stumble around. And you won't have to leave the opulent temple, the palace of Dagon to watch. You can just be entertained right here by his ineptness. You can just watch this great judge stumble around. Let's make fun of the man of God. It's sport for us. Ladies and gentlemen, God has the final say. 
So as Samson in his blindness, as he stands in the temple to Dagon, as more than 3,000 people mock him and ridicule him, and the King James Version says, made sport of him, Samson asked God to remember me one more time. Judges 16.27 picks up the narrative. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called upon the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray thee open only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. They took my two eyes, God. But if you'll just remember me one more time, if you'll just allow me this one more opportunity to remember me into your presence, to remember me into the body of Christ, to remember me back into that atmosphere of anointing. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on that which is borne up the one with his right hand and the other with his left and Samson said let me die with the Philistines and he bowed himself with all of his might and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein so the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life that's normally where we stop but in reading this verse a couple of days ago the Lord just seemed to speak to my spirit and say read another verse aren't you thankful how the Word of God can just keep producing more and more valuable nuggets of gold so I went to the next verse then his brethren and all the house of his father. Then his brethren. And all the house of his father. All the people he had rejected. All the people he had failed. All the people that he put aside for his own selfish purposes. But now, though Samson lays under the rubble, he had asked God to remember him. So when God remembers you into the body of Christ, He also works on the other end of the equation. Do you know how many people have quit going to church because they got upset with somebody else that's in the church? I don't like sister so-and-so anymore. She never brought my Tupperware bowl back. I don't like brother so-and-so. I paid him $300 to fix the brakes on my car, and they were worse than when I gave it to him. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we don't take communion to just go through some sort of vain ritual. We're saying, God, remember us into the body of Christ. Reestablish us with our brothers and sisters. And when we submit to his will, he works on the hearts of our brothers and our sisters. And there's a reconnecting. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Because God's not only worried about our vertical relationship with Him, but 
He restores our horizontal relationships as well. He died, but he was remembered before he died. I don't know what all the thief on the cross did. I don't know his rap sheet. I know he stole, because the Bible identifies him as a thief. I know he committed crimes, but I don't know how often. And, and I don't know the severity of each crime. I don't know if he committed felony murder by taking someone's life while in the act of stealing or some other felony. Maybe. Maybe somebody saw him and he killed him so there would be no witnesses. But whatever he did, it was severe enough that he got the death sentence. The worst possible way you could die by crucifixion. He was to be crucified on the hill of the skull. And maybe he was a good kid when he started out. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he had a good upbringing. I don't know. He may have had good grades as a boy in school. Maybe he showed a lot of promise at some point. Perhaps he was loved and admired by friends. I don't know. I, I hate to just surmise that he was always a bad apple. Those people don't start out bad. Just take a wrong turn somewhere. I don't know where the thief on the cross fell off the wagon. Maybe he got with the wrong friends. Maybe he was hurt in a relationship. Maybe he forsook the membership of good relationships for selfish relationships. But at some point, he started to go downhill. Then parents had to warn their kids not to hang around him. The small community had to isolate him and ostracize him for their own well-being. But as he hung on that cross next to Jesus, with what little bit of strength he has left, looks over at Jesus and says, Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. But he's had a lifetime of bad decisions. It only takes one time asking Jesus, remember me. And the Lord doesn't even have a waiting pause. He doesn't say, well, let's see how well you do in purgatory for six months. He just says, today. This very moment. Do you know how many people, even today, will walk out those back doors and say, Pastor, I want to get right with God, but there's some things I've got to put together. You don't need to do anything about arranging the ducks in your life. To get them all in a row. Today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait for a more convenient season. You don't need to wait for next week, next year. You don't need to wait till your family's here. All you got to do is say, today, God, remember me. Today. Just like that, he's remembered. All he had to do was ask. Him. He didn't have to qualify himself. All he had to do was give Jesus just some small gesture that he believed him. Oh, my friend, 
It doesn't take a lot to repent. All you got to do is just give the Lord some small gesture. Forgive me, O Lord. They would pastor these stories, Jesus, Samson, the thief on the cross. They all involve a death. Yes, they do, because to be remembered, to repent, it requires a death. The old will has to die. It's why even Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Not my will, but thy will be done. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the death of our will, for us to once again be in a relationship with God, we have to put it on the altar and say, I'm not going to live this life for my own purposes. I'm going to live this life to glorify you, Lord. Because no matter who we are or what we've been through, there's always a chance to be remembered. Communion gives us that chance to be reconnected into the body of Christ. This is my body. Take it and do it in remembrance. Come back into the fold. Reestablish that relationship. Maybe it's not because you've done anything that's all that horrible or evil. Sometimes it's just attitudes and thoughts and feelings, things that lie just beneath the surface. Sometimes my kids have to help me with my iPad and my iPhone. And they'll say, Dad, you have programs that are running. You don't see it, but they're running just beneath the surface. And I said, how do we get rid of them? They push a bunch of buttons. And sometimes it goes away and sometimes it doesn't. I think it's gone because I can't see it anymore. But somewhere just underneath there, the mice are still running in the cages and the programs are still functioning and it drains my battery. And I don't even know what it is. Do you realize that things can lodge in your spirit that drain your battery? And you don't even know what it is. You still go to church. You still believe Acts 2.38. But there's something that's draining your battery. Do you realize you can say, God, I want you to restart me. I want you to hit the power button. I want you to recharge. Remember me one more time. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As our ushers are coming down to prepare to serve you communion. We're all going to receive communion together. If you don't want to take of communion, you don't have to. But if you would like to be a part of this that the Lord has instructed us to do, 
Say, Lord, I want to be remembered as I remember you. As I, I don't forget what was involved at Calvary and as we reflect on that this morning. I'm also taking of this and asking you, Lord, to reconnect me and recommit me, Lord, into the body of Christ. Adjust my priorities, God. Look unto me from all the ends of the earth. I am the Savior. I am He that washes you. I am He that cleanses you. I am God and I extend my hands of mercy. It is not my will that any should perish. Look unto me. I stand open. Are you open to come unto me? Are you ready to surrender to me? I stand waiting for you. I was driving back from Tampa yesterday, coming down I-4. I saw a billboard on the side of the road that simply said in big red letters, When you die, you will meet God. And as I drove down I-4, dodging traffic, started thinking about that billboard. And I said out loud to my wife and family that were in the vehicle, I wonder how many people believe that sign when they read it. And I just sort of contemplated that in my own mind as I was driving. How many people really believe when you die, you will meet God? some number that I was comfortable with but every time I tried to think of some realistic percentage all I could think about was what was left between that number and 100% 70% that read that perhaps don't even believe it don't even think twice about it 
I wanted to be overly generous. That's that I-4 corridor from Tampa to Daytona Beach. That's that I-4 corridor. That's the, the thermometer, as it were, for what America is trending toward. They say that crowd elects the next president of the United States. The I-4 corridor. Let's say 50% Believe that billboard. When you die, you will meet God. Even with that generous of a number, one out of a two, just simply scoffed at the notion that when you die, you will meet God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. I believe the Word of God. The Word of God says one day, every one of us will stand before the Lord. And we will give an account for our life. And when we do, I won't even say, I remember you. I don't want him to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I want him to say, Come into my kingdom. I want you to be a part of that kingdom. I don't want anybody that has heard preaching day in and day out from this apostolic pulpit for almost 50 plus years stand before the Lord and for the Lord to say, what happened? He started out good. Having loved this present world, Demas, just gradually got distant, faded away. While there's still breath, while you can still feel his presence, why don't you ask him, Lord, remember me into the body of Christ. Would you pray that prayer right now all across this this great room would you just lift your hand and pray that Lord reestablish me reconnect me I want to be a part of the body of Christ I don't want to live this life God without knowing you or having to live with regret of what it used to be like I'm asking you right now God wrap your arms of love around us Recommit us and reconnect us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that one day all of us will be able to stand before you. And to be able to hear you say, well done. Well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. The Bible says that we are not to partake of this bread and this fruit of the vine unworthily. What does that actually mean? We shouldn't do it flippantly or 
without solemnity or focus, we should not just go through some vain ritual. We should do it with purpose and with meaning. And so we believe strongly as we partake of this, and we're going to all do it together in just a moment. There's a little clear piece of plastic that's on the very top. And in just a moment, we'll peel that back, and the wafer is there. And then as you peel back the foil, the drink is revealed. We're all going to take this in just a moment. But before we do, I wonder if we could all pray together. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And I wonder if you would just ask God to turn the the spotlight of His presence and conviction on your own heart and life. And would you just pray, Lord, forgive me of everything that I know about and the things I don't know about. If there's been anything in my spirit or heart that has lodged in there that I don't even know of, but it's somehow making me distant from the body of Christ, I'm asking you, God, to remove it right now in the name of Jesus. Would you pray that prayer right now, Lord? Cleanse our heart and our mind. Wash us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Wash us, Lord, with the revelation of your word. Wash us with the holy anointing of your presence. Wash us, Lord, with the conviction of your spirit. Almighty God. So that, Lord, when we partake of this, we are asking you, Lord, to reestablish us. As we remember the price that was paid, as we remember what you did for us, we're asking you to remember us, God, and reconnect us to your word and to your will and to your way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Everybody said amen. Now, if you just pull that little piece of plastic back, the white wafer, Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. That's it. Would you use your voice now as a member of your body to worship Him? Would you thank Him for Calvary? Would you express your love and appreciation to Jesus?
Jesus. In the name of Jesus.